The following audio is from Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com. Well, let me invite you to take your copy of God's Word this morning. Open with me to uh, the book of James. We'll continue our series, Do Something. Uh, walking verse by verse through this book of James. Uh, this book is really everything that we've, we've thought it would be so far. Challenging. Um, in so many ways, uh, many of you have talked to me about all the different uh, things that you've had to face and look at in your own life as the mirror of Scripture has revealed those to you. And so we're going to continue to walk through the book of James. And, and this morning, we've got two verses that, Lord willing, we'll get through both verses. There's a lot in these verses, and it doesn't look like there's a lot when you first just read them. But there's a lot in these verses, and um, I have less fewer points than I had last week. I had nine points last week. I don't have that many this week, but, uh, but there is as much to say today as ever, and so I'm, I'm excited about this. Today, James is going to talk about religion, and most of us in, in Christianity today, we would rather avoid the word religion. We don't want to be thought to be a religious people because we think of religion as um, the outward trappings, the outward ceremony of worship, and it doesn't have to be um, it doesn't have to be a worship of, of God. It can be a worship of any God. Religion has to do with those things that are, that are outward and that sometimes don't reflect a true inward reality. We think of religion and we think of things like the the bells and the smells, uh, as it's been put, of of worship. We think of things like uh, Gregorian chants in history and candles and and uh, and. My history growing up in, in, in Baptist churches of, of responsive readings. And, and those are things that some good can come out of those, and uh, some, some of those. And, uh, but, but we'd like to avoid this, this thing of religion because religion smacks of outward reality without an inward reality. We also like to avoid, most of us, this, this term religion because it, it carries this idea of working for God's approval, doing things in order to make ourselves right with God. You look around the world and you see people who are smack dab in the middle of religion and they're doing all sorts of things, uh, cutting themselves and, and starving themselves and all these things, trying to be religious in order to earn God's favor. Bono from the group U2. So I've quoted now from Guns N' Roses and from U2 this morning. It's going to be a good day. Um, But Bono from, from U2 says, Religion, we feel, is what is left when the Spirit leaves the building. I think that's a pretty good way that most of us look at religion. Jesus chided the Pharisees for their religion. Jesus had strong words for the Pharisees, and he said things like, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. I think that's the way a lot of us feel about religion is that it's a lot of straining out of gnats and neglecting the fact that we're swallowing lots of camels. Jesus also called those Pharisees whitewashed tombs. That they, were, they looked pretty on the outside, but on the inside they were full of dead men's bones. 
And I think for a lot of us, that's the way we think about religion and this word religion. And we think that it's really just a lot of outside show without a lot of inside meat. And so I I want us to look at this today because James here, even though we have uh, an aversion to this word religion, and rightly so in so many cases, James is going to show us that this word religion is not all bad. He's going to, in fact, show us how this word can be redeemed and how there is a worthless religion, sure, but there is also one that is pure and undefiled. And that's what I want us to see this morning as we walk through these two verses together. Let's read this, and then we'll, we'll look at this worthless religion and then also this pure and undefiled religion. So starting in verse 26 of James chapter 1, let's read. Follow along with me. If anyone thinks... He is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart. This person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father, is this. To visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. First, I want us to look at that first verse and I want us to look at this worthless religion. This one that that James calls worthless. James doesn't make a mistake when he uses the word worthless. He doesn't intend to say something milder. He doesn't intend to say something like cheap, inferior, knockoff. He doesn't intend to say this type of faith is, is somehow less than. No, instead he says this type of faith that doesn't bridle its tongue is worthless. He uses that word intentionally. That word is a word that is often used to describe the worship of idols. Acts chapter 14 says, men, why are you doing these things? When, when, when Paul and Barnabas, when they spoke to a man and caused him to stand up and, and be healed and to rise, to walk, they worshiped them as gods and Paul turns to them and says, men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of of like nature with you, and we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things. That's the same word in the original language, these worthless things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. Paul also writes in Romans in chapter 1, in verse 21, where he says, for although they knew God, They did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile or worthless in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. This is the the word here is the equivalent of, of buying a ticket on the street from a scalper for an event. Maybe it's a football game, maybe it's a concert, and you, you find a good deal on the street somewhere, only when you get to the place where they check your ticket, you find that it is a forgery. There's no amount of persuading that you can do in that moment. I, used to, I grew up just 30 minutes outside of Knoxville. I'm a huge Tennessee Volunteers fan. And that for some of you, that just casts shadow and doubt on me immediately. But for others of you, great, and, and you, you know, perk up and listen now. But I grew up going to these games with my dad. And we never had season tickets. We never bought tickets uh, through the proper channels. We always bought tickets from kids on the street. And I can't believe it, but fortunately, we never had this issue. We never got to the ticket gate and had them turn us away. But if we had bought false tickets, 
there would have been no amount of persuading that we could have done at the gate. We could have not have said, but you know, this guy said they were real. Oh, well, I didn't know that, sir. Well, come on in. Nobody's going to do that, right? The, that's the word here. Is the word is worthless. It's the equivalent of, of going on the show Antique Roadshow. Anybody ever seen that show? And you've got some, some priceless heirloom that, that you've held on to for years passed down from generations and it's been in your attic and you've watched over this thing and finally you hear antique roadshows coming to town and so you pack this thing up and you delicately take this thing down and you get on the show and they look at you and they say, I'm sorry to tell you, but this is a fake. This was bought at a gas station somewhere and somebody told you a story and it's not really real. That's the equivalent here, right? James here says there is a type of religion that is worthless. And I want to tell you three things in this verse about what a worthless religion looks like. First is this. A worthless religion is one that is formed in the mind of the worshiper. It's what James says here when he says, if anyone thinks he is religious... The reality is that you and I can think we are religious all day long, but at the end of the day, you and I are not the ones that determine what religious really means. Romans, again, chapter 1, let me continue that section I started earlier, 22 through 25, Paul says, Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity and to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. The reality is what happened to these that, that Paul is describing is the reality of the tendency of our own hearts. We are prone, we are hardwired because of sin to want to try to exchange the glory of God for something that we've made in some other image. We don't get to define what is true spirituality. We don't get to define how God receives us. God sets that. We cannot exchange the glory of God for anything else. It cannot be formed in our own minds. This is exactly what the Israelites did when Moses was taking too long on the mountain. Do you remember that in Exodus chapter 32? Moses goes up on the mountain to be with God. He takes a little too long, and the children of Israel say to Aaron, we don't know what's happened to this Moses. In their minds, they're thinking, maybe God killed him. We don't know what's happened to him. Aaron, make for us gods. So what does Aaron do? Aaron, who has seen God work, deliver them from Egypt, all the while providing, Aaron looks at them and says, all right, bring me all your gold. Bring all the earrings out of your ears, out of your wives' ears, and, and your daughters and your sons. Bring all of those earrings here. And he puts this and into the fire, melts this. The Bible says there in Exodus 32 that he carves it, fashions it, forms it into this calf. When this calf is brought out of the fire, it says that, that he says, Look, here, here is your God who brought you out of Egypt. 
And if we look at that and we think, how could anyone be that ridiculous? But they were simply going back to what they had seen and heard in Egypt. They brought this before, before the people, and he said to them, Hey, look, tomorrow we're going to bring sacrifices to this God. So today, live it up. And the Bible here says in Exodus chapter 32, the people sat down to eat and drink, and they rose up to play. If there was ever a commentary on our culture, it's that. Our culture cares nothing about God or how He has defined Himself or all that He has done to reveal Himself to us. Instead, our culture is consumed with sitting down to eat, rising up to play, living another day. That is our culture today. But the thing is, the thing that I want you to see and the thing that I think James wants you to see is keep in mind, James is not writing to sinners. And they're sinful, all right, but he's not writing to lost people. He's writing to his own church members. He's writing to believers. He's not so much concerned with what the culture does. The Israelites here, when they ask Aaron to make this God for them, they should know better. And in the church of Christ today, we should know better. We don't get to form God or worship in our own image. Psalm 106 describes what they did here in Exodus 32 as they exchanged the glory of God for the image of an ox that eats grass. We say, how could they do such a thing? Yet we do the same thing today. We come to worship and define worship in certain ways that we like. This is missing the point altogether. How foolish, how arrogant, how worthless to think that we can shape and form God to our liking. A worthless religion is one that is formed in the mind of the worshiper. Number two, second thing about this worthless, worthless religion is this. It is one that is deformed in the speech of the worshiper. It's formed in the mind of the worshiper, but it's deformed in the speech of the worshiper. James here says, the one who does not bridle his tongue. Now, bridle. You might ask a child, what, what does bridle mean? And they might say something like, well, that's what happens to a man when he gets married. He gets bridled, right? And uh, sorry, I thought that would be funnier. That was funnier in my sermon prep, but it, you know. I really expected that one to kill, but anyway. <laughs> when James here talks about the bridle, he's talking about this headgear that goes on a horse that controls this horse. And it, it's made up of these straps, and you've seen this, that, that come around the head of the horse. And, and there is a, usually a bit that goes into the sensitive area of the horse's mouth, sometimes under the tongue or, or back at, at the, 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 the ends, the corners of the mouth. And through this little bit of metal and leather, this entire animal is controlled. And that's, that's his point is that, that James' point here is that a person who is really a child of God will demonstrate it by exercising control over his tongue. When he says here, the, the one who does not bridle his tongue, he could be referring to things like angry outbursts. You ever have angry outbursts? He could be talking about things like gossip 
and telling lies, boasting about oneself, making excuses for certain behavior instead of humbly admitting your own weakness, using empty words that make big promises but never lift a finger, that talk about loving our community but never really doing anything to love our community. We could be talking about cursing, just coarse language in general that makes jokes that are just crude, slander. All of these things are ways that, that demonstrate a lack of control over one's tongue. Now, when, when James here says the one who does not bridle his tongue, his, his religion is worthless, he only thinks he is religious, he doesn't mean the one who perfectly controls his tongue. He's going to go on in this book in chapter 3 and say, hey, we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If, he, if we put bits into the mouths of horses, horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. He's not talking about here someone be, being perfect in the control of their tongue. I was taking my garbage off the other day, and I was over there at, at um, Barry's Pond, that trash dump over there, and uh, I was there pulling the bags off, and there was a guy next to me, and he pulled the bag off, and he got off all the way over to the thing. But right before he got the bag dropped into the container, the bag ripped, and trash went everywhere. Has that ever happened to you? And he got about two syllables out. And he stopped himself. And he looked up at me. And I don't know if he knew I was a pastor. I don't think he did. I I didn't recognize the guy. If you're here today, I want to commend you on on stopping yourself. But he stopped himself and he looked at him and looked at me and he said, I didn't say it. (laughs) He said, I came close, but I didn't say it. And that's the image. That's the image is is, is a person who, if they really are a child of God, They're not going to do it perfectly, but they ought to exercise control. They ought to be one that halts their tongue. It's not quick to gossip. James has already talked about this when he said, be quick to hear, but slow to speak, slow to anger, right? And this is what he's describing here, a guy who is, or a girl who is really a child of God. They're not going to do it perfectly, but they will do it consistently. Psalm 141 verse 3 says, Set a guard over my lips, O Lord. Keep watch over the door of my lips. And I think that's the way that you and I guard and bridle our tongue. Is that if we try to do this in our own strength, as soon as we do, the the bag is going to rip. Right? Right? But if our attitude is, oh, Lord, today I'm going to face all sorts of circumstances and situations. God, today, would you be Lord over my mouth? That's different. John MacArthur, in his commentary on this, was interesting. uh, hadn't really thought about this. He says, the tongue is not the only indicator of true spirituality, but it is one of the most accurate, most reliable. It's been estimated, he says, that the average person will speak some 18,000 words in a day, some more than others. 18,000 words in a day is enough for a 54-page book. In a year, that amounts to 66 800-page volumes. Up to one-fifth of the average person's life is spent talking. 
If the tongue is not controlled by God, it is a sure indicator that the heart is not either. Listen to this. Matthew chapter 12, verse 34. Jesus, again, talking to the Pharisees, says, You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. He goes on and he says, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Now that's a scary thought, isn't it? When Jesus says that every careless word that we speak we will have to give account for. He goes on and he says there that, that by our words we're either going to be justified or condemned. And he doesn't mean that we can, if we keep a tight enough rein on our mouth, then we can save ourselves. What he means is, your words are going to give evidence of what the reality of your faith really is. If you're really a believer, then it will show up. You will make effort to control and to bridle your tongue. A worthless religion is one that is formed in the mind of the worshiper, and it's one that is deformed in the speech of the worshiper. And then third about this is, is it's a worthless religion is one that is misinforming the heart of the worshiper. It's misinforming the heart of the worshiper. James here says, if anyone thinks he's religious, but he does not bridle his tongue and deceives his heart. A worthless religion misinforms you about your condition before God. I want you to remember from last week, the word deceived, I talked about this last week, it means to, to reason beside or alongside. It, it means to, to give deliberate false reasoning for the purpose of deceiving. And I talked last week about some of you are feeling and experiencing the conviction of the Holy Spirit, but you're reasoning alongside that and talking yourself out of it. And that's what's going on here. Al Mohler said, I, I gave you this quote last week as well, we can deceive ourselves into believing that we're faithful simply because we're listening. We can deceive ourselves into believing that we are faithful simply because we're listening. Worthless religion is misinforming you. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. And I want to just plead with you. Last week, I, I pleaded with you on this, and I'll plead with you again. Just because you've been in church for a long time, maybe all your life, does not mean that you have pure and undefiled religion. You may have a worthless religion. You may have one that when you get to the gate, and I'm using secular language here, but when you get there, they may turn you away and tell you that you bought a fake. It will misinform your heart. The point here, what's the point? Well, it is possible to think that you are religious in a good way, but in reality to have a religion that is worthless. Remember Judas. Could there have been anybody that was closer to Judas? Oh, there was the inner three, but outside of them, Judas was right there. He was in the 12 with Jesus. But what happened to him in the end, he was not one of them. He was a devil, Jesus said. In verse John chapter 2 says, They went out from us because they were not of us. 
Look, there's a reason why that's in, in Scripture. There's a warning here to us to examine ourselves. Examine yourself. Are you truly in the faith? Are you the possessor of a religion that is pure and undefiled? Or do you have one that is worthless? Now, second half of this sermon probably, hopefully, won't be quite as long as the first. But let me just walk through this. A pure and undefiled religion. What does it look like? Well, James is not intending to sum up all that religion is. we got to know that. I used to come across this verse 27 and, and read, A pure and undefiled religion is one that visits orphans and widows in their distress and keeps oneself unstained from the world. And I used to think, that's it? That's all? James here is not summing up all of what Christianity is. But he's giving us some things that it really is. One, uh, number, number one, I'll give you three of these as well. A pure and undefiled religion is one that is defined by God the Father. I won't, I won't belabor this because I developed this earlier, but when he says here that a pure and undefiled religion before God the Father, it's the opposite of if a man thinks he's religious. There's meant to be this juxtaposition that there is a religion that's formed in the mind, one who thinks he's religious, and there is one that is judged by God the Father. I think there's a reason why James here doesn't just say before God, but instead he goes on and he says before God the Father. I think there's a reason why he gives us this word, the Father, and I think it's to point out that, that we as sons and daughters are to have that attitude of true sons and daughters. The Father has not come from the kids. The kids came from the Father. Good kids don't try to define the Father, nor do they seek to use the Father for their selfish gain. Good kids... Know that they are accepted by Him. They know they don't have to labor to keep their sonship or their daughterhood. They don't have to labor for that. They're accepted. They've been adopted. We, if you are a child of God here, we've been adopted into the family of God. He has truly become our Father. There's a difference in approaching God from this stance of, I've got to do enough to hold on to this. Otherwise, he might be so trite that he just cast me off. Does that sound like a good father to you? There's a difference in that and resting in the fact that he loves me. He loved me before I was lovable. I'm still on so many days and in so many ways unlovable, and he continues to love me of his own will and volition, of his own choosing. He has called me son. He has called me his child. They know that they're accepted by him, and they seek to serve and honor him from that perspective. He's, the true sons and daughters of God are unlike the prodigal. Remember the prodigal son? who when he found himself in the middle of all the pig slop and came to his ways, worked on his speech and thought that somehow the speech would get him back in. They're also unlike the older brother who think that because they've been faithful for so long that they deserve this. 
pure and undefiled religion is one that is defined by God the Father. Secondly, it's this. Pure and undefiled religion is one that, is, that resembles God the Father. When he says here in verse 27, it's, it's one that visits orphans and widows in their affliction. Orphans and widows here is, is it, not the whole category. These are two groups of people in that day and age that represent those that were helpless, that were defenseless, they were poor, those that, that suffered poverty, that people would take advantage of them. What, is, what does our Father do? What does God do? How does He treat these types of people, orphans and widows and sojourners and strangers? How does God treat these people? The world takes advantage of them. But God, listen to this, Psalm 68 verse 5 says, He is the Father of the fatherless. He's the protector of widows. Psalm 146 verse 9 says, The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless, but the way of the wicked He brings to ruin. God made provision for these types of people who were defenseless and poor in the tithe. Part of the tithe Deuteronomy chapter 26 says, When you have finished paying all the tithe of your produce in the third year, which is the year of tithing, giving, to, giving it to the Levite, the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow, so that they may eat within your towns and be filled. God, in His setting up of how we would worship through giving, has made also provision for those who are poor and defenseless. You think about the laws about the, the gleaning, the harvesting of crops in the fields. You remember Ruth? The leaving of some on the edges so that there was provision for those who didn't have anything. This is our Father. This is God. This is how He treats them. The world says, take advantage of these people. Why don't they just go get a job? And I realize there is some of that. There's, there's a, an abuse of the system. Don't hear me saying there's not. But in so many times, we hide behind that. And our greater concern, it should be, how can we resemble our Father? In our culture, in our day and age, these might be orphans. They might be widows. They might be single moms. They could be the elderly. They could be immigrants. But a religion that is pure and undefiled is one that resembles, acts like, does the same things as, the, as their father. Again, Deuteronomy chapter 10 says, For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God who is not partial and takes no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless, and He loves the sojourner giving him food and clothing. Love the sojourner. Therefore, for, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. One of the things that, that is true when we do this, when we care for those who are poor and defenseless and easily taken advantage of, it causes us not only to act like our Father, but it causes us to remember that we once were them. That we once were on the outside having no share in the family of God, but God was a Father to us when we were fatherless. Amen? In so doing, we've got to remember that we will get nothing in return as we love 
these and we care for these. There's, you're not in this type of ministry for what they can give back to you. What are, what's an orphan going to give to you? What's a, what's a widow going to give to you most of the time? Those that are defenseless and poor and taken advantage of, they can't bring anything to the table. This is not ministry that grows a church. I'm so thankful that we're, we're really so far away from that mindset of we've got to be a, a big church. We've got to find a way to pack these seats. It's, it was never meant to be about packing these seats. It was meant to be a, about the name of God being worshipped as great. God's not a respecter of persons, and neither should we be. We shouldn't look at someone. We're going to get into this a little bit later on next week. We shouldn't, we shouldn't look at someone because of what they can bring to the table and, and give special treatment to them. We're called to be like our Father and to love those who cannot give anything in return. The third is this. A pure and undefiled religion is one that longs to be with God the Father. Longs to be with God the Father. He finishes up there in verse 27 and he says, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. This does not mean separation from the world. But it does mean separation in the world. There are cults that that rise up here and there and one of the things that they do is they quickly separate from the world they build compounds and they go inside those walls and it usually ends up with people drinking kool-aid and that doesn't end well right and god never calls us to separate ourselves from the world instead god calls us to be separate in the world listen jesus prayed john 17 i do not ask that you take them out of the world but that you keep them from the evil one They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. We've been called to be people that are in the world, but not of the world. Jesus knew what that was like, and he's left us here to follow him James chapter 4, he's going to go on. In verse 4, he says, You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Ephesians 2, verses 1 and 2, we read this passage often, but the very first few words, You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world. Those who are pre-Christ who don't yet know him as Savior, who do not know the hope that he brings, they walk according to the course of this world. We once did, but those of us who know Christ as Savior, we've been set free to not follow the course of this world. Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness, and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify uh, purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. What's evident in all of those verses, and I could read you more, is that those who are living in this world as believers 
who are striving to be separate from the world, not separated out from and go into a, to a commune somewhere, but to live separate in the world, the one thing that's true there is the one motivator is that they long for the world to come. If there is no world to come, then it doesn't make sense to live differently in this world. But if it's true that there is a world to come, that God is one day coming again, that Jesus will come and bring us to where He is, if that is true, then giving up the trappings of this world that are really honestly fun for a moment, giving those up doesn't feel like that much of a sacrifice. The things that we sacrifice here will pale in comparison to what is to come. Religion that is pure and undefiled is one that longs to be where he is. The, the word here, when, when James says, those who keep themselves unstained in the world, is a word that means continuous action. Don't think... Oh, this is not true of me. I, I wrestle with this all the time, therefore I must not be a believer. If you're wrestling with this all the time, you're doing what James has said. You're striving to keep yourself unstained from the world. It's going to be a struggle. How can we live in this world where we are bombarded every day with worldliness? You can't go anywhere. You can't turn on a, a television. You can't look at anything on the Internet. You can't drive up and down the road and look at billboards. You can't, you can't turn on a radio and listen to anything on the radio without being bombarded with all these worldly messages that are trying to pull us away from following Christ. All of it is it's like being in a paintball fight. They're all trying to put their mark on us. And James here is saying to us, do everything you can to keep yourself unstained in this world. Well, here's the conclusion. I have not said that if you want to be pure in religion, then do these things. That's not what I'm saying. I have not said if you want to, if you want to be a true Christian, then control your tongue and visit orphans and widows and, 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 and be good. That's not what I've said. Rather, what I have said is, if indeed you have pure religion, then you will do these things. John MacArthur again says, It is not our perfection that proves our salvation, but rather our hating our imperfections and seeking with God's help and power to correct them. Do you hate your imperfections? Then praise God. Do you seek to bridle your tongue? Do you seek to help those who are helpless? Do you, do you strive to stay pure in this world? Then praise God. If not, James uses the word worthless. Not by accident. Turn and believe. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for two little verses, God, that 
we could just read past and be part of a little 30-second devotion and never really get down into the meat of, but God, we thank you that you have left us your word, and we thank you, God, that the Spirit still teaches us. God, I pray that you would be active and move. Take these truths, God, and let them sink. Place them deep in your implanted word. God, I pray that you'd cause them to grow and produce fruit. Lord, for the person who's here today that knows in their heart that their faith is not a real faith, that their religion is worthless, God, I pray that you'd lead them to turn from it and trust in you. God, for the person who's here today that that truly does know that it is a struggle, but there is a struggling because of a deep reality within. God, I pray that they would celebrate that and they would lean on you all the more, that they would say with David, Oh, Lord, set the gate over my lips. God, I love you. Glorify yourself in Jesus' name. Amen. We want to give you just a minute or two to, to think about and to respond. If there's something that God has pointed out to you today and, and requires some response from you, then we want you to have this opportunity. There will be people that will be over in the room just outside of those doors uh, in the prayer room that would love to pray with you. They're not going to counsel you. They're not there for advice. They're there simply as brothers and sisters in Christ simply to pray with you. If you'd like to go and spend some time with them, they'd love to, love to welcome you there. If you're here today and, and, um, and you need to pray with me, there's just some things that you say, I just need my pastor to, to, to know about this and to begin praying with me on this. I'd love to know about that. I'd love to serve you in that way. And I'll be down here on the front. You can come talk to me. If today in the middle of this, God has shown you that your faith's not real and, and you today need to turn and trust him And if I can help you with that, then I'd love to invite you to step out of your seat and come and talk to me. I'd love to help you know how to do that, how to trust Christ to save your soul. Today, if this is the church God would have you to join, love to talk to you about that. We don't have another membership class on the schedule yet, but we'll be getting one up probably around the start of school. We'd love to get you into that. Whatever it is God is calling you to, I'm going to ask you to say yes, to not not wait, to not harden your heart, to not go out of here and push it back, to not reason alongside of, but instead simply to say yes and to respond today. Whatever it is, follow him. Let's worship our God. This time of teaching is brought to you by Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com.